Welcome to The Readings Podcast, a production from Melbourne's leading independent bookstore, Readings Books and Music. In today's episode, an interview with Rose ben Mosher, author of the new book, The Laughter Effect. The Laughter Effect is a powerful philosophy that enhances well-being and provides you with a roadmap to tap into the lighter side of life and awaken both your inner and outer smile. Drawing on research, practice and wisdom from humour and laughter therapy, along with positive psychology and neuroscience, health promotion, academic and laughter wellness expert Rosbin Mosher offers a new dimension to self-care, elevating mindfulness, gratitude and self-compassion. This book is enriched by case studies for around the globe, and Roz shares how the highly accessible laughter effect enhances resilience to stress, enabling you to respond to adversity and bounce forward with humour, levity and grace. Living the laughter effect will awaken a positive change in yourself, how you respond to the world and, in turn, how the world responds to you. Thank you for joining us, Roz. Thank you, Nico, for having me. So just to introduce you a little bit to our listeners, Roz, you're an internationally recognised wellness and positivity expert and adjunct lecturer at La Trobe University. Uh, Your first book, a highly praised and well-received book called Laughing at Cancer, How to Heal with Love, Laughter and Mindfulness, this book, your most recent one, out in April of this year and, as I've learned, syndicated for release and publication overseas, has done very, very well and I'm keen to learn more and discuss with you today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Nice one. So maybe to set the scene for the conversation, could you tell me about the laughter effect and maybe in particular what laughter yoga is? Sure, that's a big question. We'll break that down. So the laughter effect is a philosophy that I've been developing over years that integrates both the science behind humour and laughter and also sort of uncovers the pathway to a laughter mindset as a way to joy and positive well-being. And it also offers an embodied dimension to other self-care practices such as gratitude, self-compassion, and even an invitation to view journaling differently. So we all know that journaling has lots of therapeutic impact and value. But what if, you know, you're going through a challenging time, you can actually get lost in that sort of negativity. So journaling with positive intent, so taking a challenging situation and perhaps, you know, looking at it through the lens of gratitude or or love. So that's sort of, I suppose, the laughter effect in a nutshell. So it's both humour and non-humour based, which can get a little bit confusing. It's like, hold on a second, isn't it the laughter effect? But it's about intentionality. You know, even looking at, you know, smiling and laughter, can this be something that is, has to be authentic for the body to respond in kind or does it matter? You know, can it sort of start with an intentional or simulated practice? So that's sort of something that I discuss. And in your question about laughter yoga, so laughter yoga is an example of an intentional laughter practice. It does not rely on humour to generate laughter. And it's a combination of simulated laughter exercises together with deep breathing and clapping at the same time as you're saying ho, ho, ha, 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 which okay might sound a little bit strange but what happens especially in a group dynamic the laughter whilst it may start off as something simulated becomes real in no time at all and laughter yoga goes back to 1996 
can be traced back to an Indian doctor called Madan Kataria. And he was actually researching about laughter being the best medicine and you know, thought, well, he came across a few articles when he's thinking, if it is such good medicine, how do we get more of it? So he was pretty stressed out at the time, being a general practitioner, and also he was an editor of a health magazine with lots of deadlines. So he decided to get together just with some friends in a park in Mumbai, and they stood around telling jokes. And They laughed and laughed and laughed and they loved it so much so that they decided to meet the next day and the group swelled a little bit and again, more joke telling, more laughter. But after a while, the joke started to run out. And as you know, humour is very subjective. What one person might find humorous, another person might find offensive or sexist or they might just not get it. So he went back to the drawing board and consulted with his yoga practitioner wife And there was one book that made a lasting impression on Dr. Kataria called The Complete Guide to Your Emotions and Your Health by Emrika Pattis. And its key takeaway message was that motion creates emotion. Essentially, you can act happy in order to become happy. So together with his yoga practitioner wife, they devised a series of simulated laughter exercises and clapping and deep breathing, which is the yogic component, took the practice back to the park. And in 2023, here we are with tens of thousands of laughter clubs worldwide, both online and face-to-face. You know, laughter yoga is an example of a practice that you can do when perhaps laughter is furthermost from mind, which makes it really important for, you know, if you're going through chronic illness or, you, you know, you're going through a bad relationship breakup or whatever it is, you can actually choose to tune up and tune into your laughter with these intentional practices. And speaking of practitioners, can you tell me a bit about how you learned of this practice Mm. and your journey to becoming someone who teaches and instructs in the laughter effect and laughter yoga. Sure, yes, we all have our story. So many years ago, I'd been diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and as a result, food allergies. And I began researching about food as medicine. And I thought that I'd figured it all out that, you know, what we eat impacts our well-being. And I became so enthusiastic that I actually wrote a series of gluten-free, vegetarian, dairy-free cookbooks. So we're talking about 20 years ago and sent them off to publishers. And they basically said, the market's just too small. So, you know, as I say, fortune tellers, they were not. Yeah, the the (laughs) irony. I could have been the queen of gluten-free. But anyway, that fate was not awaiting me. What was awaiting me was the realisation that there is more to what we eat, you know, in terms of our well-being. And I decided to go and do some post-grad studies. And in order to be accepted... I needed to demonstrate some sort of equivalence because previously I'd done a Bachelor of Arts and wasn't so much in the health field. As luck would have it, there was a World Health Promotion Conference and I volunteered as a rapporteur for all of the sessions. And it was, oh, I just felt right at home. I was so fascinated. And, you know, every session I went to, you know, I had my writing pad and pen furiously taking notes. And there was one particular session in the midst of all these serious sessions that was a laughter yoga session. 30 minutes. All the other sessions were an hour. And I thought, well, this I have to report on. But 
of course, within a moment of being in that environment and the facilitator explaining what we were going to do, I had to put away my pad and my pen and participate. And it was quite awkward, you know, initially, you know, a little bit uncomfortable, you know, I'm in a room with, you know, 70 plus people that I don't know from, you know, Adam as such. And, you know, we start laughing together and it was an absolute blast. And afterwards, I just was like on cloud nine. I was, I felt like such a bounce, you know, so much more so than all these years I'd, you know, consulted specialists, you know, for chronic fatigue syndrome. And I thought, okay, not sure exactly what I'm going to do with this, but it's something that I'm going to explore at some point, I, you know, I thought. And then I went back to study, did a postgrad in health promotion. And during that time when there was a lot of discussion about mental health, but what I was hearing was talk about depression and anxiety and stress, I was thinking, that sounds like negative mental health. But positive mental health, I think there's something in this laughter. So I trained as a laughter yoga facilitator and started to facilitate programs initially for community health. Then once I'd done my Master of Public Health, I began doing some research into some of the health benefits. I suppose, as they say, the rest is history. Mm. And I became really good at preaching about laughter being the best medicine and going to places and, you know, laugh more. It's really good for you. And that was until a distinctly unfunny time in my life. So about 11 years ago, I got a shock diagnosis of bowel cancer. Now, there is absolutely nothing funny about cancer. And it certainly wasn't a case of, you know, oh, I got bowel cancer, yay, far from it. I have never been more terrified in my life about anything. And especially because I had two relatively young boys at the time, all of a sudden I was facing my mortality But somewhere deep in the back of my mind, I knew somehow that the bowel cancer was tied to laughter. I just didn't quite know how. Anyway, as luck would have it (laughs) of a kind, uh, a few days prior to major bowel surgery, so I had a bowel resection and an ileostomy that I was praying it would be a temporary one, which thank goodness turned out to be that. I had actually received a booking to facilitate a laughter yoga session for a corporate lingerie company. Ha, the last place in the world I wanted to be. But, you know, being a professional, I decided, okay, I'm just going to go through the motions of it, just do it. It was too late to cancel. So I went along and um, went through the motions of telling people about, you know, the physiological impact of, of laughter and, you know, discussing, you know, how adults tend to laugh less than children and discussing some of the reasons behind that. And then I actually facilitated the active laughter yoga session, which was probably only 20 minutes to half an hour of these simulated laughter exercises. And after the session, it dawned on me that this was the first time in the many years that I'd been, you know, facilitating laughter yoga that I needed this much more than the people that I was facilitating it for. And it made me a lot more psychologically resilient prepare myself for the huge marathon operation that lay ahead of me. I'd been able to literally laugh away some of those lead weights. And I thought, cool, I know what I'm going to do now. After my operation, I'm going to laugh a lot. I'm just going to choose to laugh. Huh. Famous last words, if there ever were any. Because anybody who is familiar with any form of stomach or bowel surgery for 
good reasons. For example, a little baby might pop out or the not so great reasons and a little tumour is cut out. You will know that you physically cannot laugh for several weeks. So I sort of was a bit sort of back to the drawing board for me. And it was day eight of my stay in hospital and it was meant to be discharge day and I'd actually had a really harrowing night's sleep. I won't go into details, but my two boys were going to be coming to collect me to return me home with my husband on day eight, but there was no way I was up for it. And I had a very dark mood, which was quite uncharacteristic of me. And at about seven o'clock in the morning, the breakfast tray sort of rattles in with the person and says, you know, here's your breakfast. And it's like, just leave me alone. I don't, I don't want breakfast today. Thank you anyway. And they said, listen, we'll leave it here just in case you may change your mind. It's like, okay, just leave me alone sort of thing. And I thought, I have to do something. I have to, you know, somehow get out of this funk. Can't have the boys seeing me like this. You know, they'd be shocked. So there in front of me was this breakfast tray and it was lined with paper placemat and there was a pencil. And I thought, okay, how about I start, you know, thinking about some of the things that I'm grateful for about having this surgery. So I map out a very fine margin to the left, start with very small writing and, you know, starting to think about, okay, I'm grateful for having this operation in a world-class hospital. I'm grateful for you know, the love I have in my life. I'm grateful for my body's, you know, miraculous capacity to heal. And so it went until I marked out another margin. And before I knew it, another margin until my writing was so tiny, like, you know, in the olden days, you'd write postcards and I'd run out of space. And I realized at the end of this process, I was actually beaming. I had forgotten about my pain. So much so that the nurse who'd come in to administer my morphine, she boomeranged right out of the room because she thought she'd gone into someone else's room because here I was sitting serenely smiling. And that was my first ever sort of experience of going beyond laughter per se and tapping into the energy of laughter, the energy of joy through this inner smile and connecting to, to gratitude. And that really, really struck me. And then that was further developed with my written practice, which became the basis of my first book, Laughing at Cancer. I would journal with the written word and challenge and reframe some of the language of cancer from, say, for example, a big C to the little C. Or if I'd had a particularly you know, stressful day, I would challenge that and journal through the lens of gratitude and start to think, is there anything that I can be grateful for? Not even in the present moment, but maybe even future grateful. You know, really expanding sort of this philosophy to incorporate, you know, this other dimension to various, you know, self-care practices. So whilst, for example, I couldn't laugh for several weeks, I could smile. So I would add smiling to my meditation practice and I would send the energy of the smile to various parts of my body that perhaps were in pain that would stimulate my endorphin flow. And our endorphins are our body's endogenous morphine. They're 30 times more powerful than the synthetic version. So I realized early on that I could sort of stay stuck in whatever mood I was and, and you know, focus on all of those F words like fear and frustration, or 
I could actively challenge those and bring some humour, some levity, gratitude, smiling into my day and note how that made me feel. And because it feels good, then you release the dopamine. That was really how I began really living the laughter effect. Mm, absolutely. That's a, it's a fantastic story and I'm so glad that you have shared it with everyone in this book. Could you explain to our listeners what the notion of a dose is, a D-O-S-E? Sure. So that refers to our cocktail of well-being hormones, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. We hear a lot about stress hormones, about cortisol, about adrenaline, and you know, a lot of people have a low level of stress every day. Now, it's not to say we want to get rid of those stress hormones, but we want to temper them. And in order to do that, it's important to, you know, replenish those well-being hormones or happy hormones. And you can actually get your dose of well-being through things that you might not necessarily think about. Even a good conversation with someone will elicit some of those hormones. Laughter elicits endorphins. Smiling does. Doing things that you love with the people that you love also elicits endorphins, serotonin, which is our body's antidepressant. Dopamine, it's that sort of, yes, give me more. There is much about the laughter effect that actually impacts on our physiology. And it's about, you know, being able to intentionally choose to do various things in order to trigger that sort of biochemistry. Mm, definitely. And I think many people who encounter notions or ideas like yogic practices or for some people they might throw around pejoratives like hippie or trippy or new age. But I think from my experience, often it's people who don't have much exposure to those sorts of things, who reject them out of hand without really understanding. And I like in the book that you spend a bit of time dispelling the myths of humour and laughter's therapeutic value as these sorts of things and instead really go into like the nuts and bolts of those things as mm. being attached to chemistry and to culture, but then also to history as well. I think it's always important to understand the historical and cultural perspective from where things stem. And I think writing a book about laughter, I also did not want it to be dispelled as something hippie or, or new age, which maybe it is to some extent, but not really. And so, you know, as I was researching, I was blown away. You know, I'd heard, of course, about, you know, biblical quotes, you know, and how Sarah, childless after, you know, years at the age of, you know, whatever she was, theoretically way beyond childbearing years, you know, she became pregnant and, you know, her first response was laughter. And there's lots of beautiful quotes in, in both the Old Testament and New Testament about laughter and joy and health and well-being. I hadn't really realised that it also extended to Indigenous people. And I was fascinated that Australian Indigenous people had a culture of laughter games. They even have, you know, some of their dreaming stories, you know, relate to, for example, when Venus is low in the sky twinkling, they say that that's because, you know, it's a result of an old man who told a joke. So, that really fascinated me. And we've just recently sort of had the coronation and, you know, the royals are, you know, a relatively serious bunch, right? But, you know, no, they're not <laughs> because for centuries, not only British monarchs, French monarchs, you can even go back to ancient Egypt and pharaohs, they had their court jesters or buffoons. Mm. 
And they held a really esteemed place in the court. Mm. And they were often called to, you know, Queen Elizabeth I used to call on her court jester, Richard Talston, before she did her physician to help with her malaise or melancholy. So there's just so much richness in laughter and humour being used to connect and heal societies from day dot. So there's a lot to learn from its historical place and context. Mm, absolutely. But I feel like we don't often hear enough about that and how important that is to so many cultural traditions and mm. cultural fabrics as you speak to. And it's so compelling in this book weaving that deep understanding of history and culture with also this aspect of the biological and the chemical in a way where what you're left with is a really strong starting point to embody these practices and feel like this is coming from a place where it makes sense and it matters and it feels really good to believe in it while it's working on you physiologically. And I really appreciated that. Well, thank you. I think it's also part of the reason why it sort of feels intuitive is because smiling and laughter is an innate resource that we are born with. Darwin, it's amazing he's not more known for his studies on smiling and laughter, but, you know, he witnessed that children, if they're born deaf or blind, they still laugh. And it's it's a really important thing on a micro level in terms of bonding with one's caregiver. And then if you sort of broaden it out into the macro societal level, you know, just to be able to connect with your community. And, you know, if you're smiling and laughing with someone, you are creating, you know, that, that connection. Very important for humanity. Absolutely. There's a quote you open one of the chapters with that is one of my favourite quotes from history. It really sticks in my head and my heart. And it's from the Rabbi Hillel who writes, If I am not for myself, who will be for me? If I am not for others, what am I? And if not now, then when? Can you tell me what that quote means to you and how you draw meaning from that and bring that into the laughter effect? Mm. It is a beautiful quote. It was a natural fit for one of the chapters that I have on self-compassion, self-compassion with a smile. And I think that that's, you know, as much as we you know, care about other people and as much as we, you know, want to give to other people, we really need to be for ourselves first and that's the ripple effect that then goes on to other people. So it's just been, you know, as you said, it's just been a quote that has really stuck with me over these years that, you know, someone, you know, who wrote about this, you know, so many years ago, it's its message still applies today, possibly even more than ever, as, you know, we compete with all of these, you know, everyday demands. But, you know, we have to honour ourselves. We have to give to ourselves. And we also, I think, owe it to ourselves to be as fulfilled and joyful as we possibly can, which doesn't mean to say every day, 24-7, we have to sort of, you know, go around with a smile on our face. But if we draw on the laughter effect, we can become a better version of ourselves that then ripples out to others and we can give more of ourselves in the process. Yeah, absolutely. I thoroughly agree with that sentiment. I think for a lot of people, they might say to themselves, well, I'm not particularly funny. I don't laugh a lot. But, you know, is that necessarily the truth or could you speak to that? Sure. So I think it's really empowering to know that 
just because, you know, we think that we might not be funny or we don't have much humour in our life does not mean to say we can't change that. So we can actually create humour habits and, you know, that trains our brain to, you know, grow this sort of humour capacity. It's a sense, right? So the more we use it, the more attuned it becomes. So many of you listeners may have heard about gratitude journaling. So, you know, we can adapt that for humour, for example, and you can create a humour scrapbook. So, you know, that could be comprised of, for example, memes that make you laugh or funny photos or recounting, you know, funny incident that happened. And what that does is that it actually, as I say, encourages this practice to find the funny, to find the funny. And then on days that you're not feeling so humorous, you can actually flick through it and relive those moments. And another thing, you know, to to really sort of encourage, you know, those healthy humor habits is, you know, possibly on days that you are feeling a bit lower mood, that, you know, you may have a news-free day and you might, you know, turn up the comedy or, you know, tune into a humorous podcast or read the laughter effect or, or something, you know, something that's actually going to, you know, develop this sense. So there's a lot, you know, again, that we can do to grow what we might sort of think is something that we're born with, but it's not. So on that note, Roz, I would strongly recommend to people to pick up and check out The Laughter Effect. I thoroughly enjoyed reading this book and feel really pleased that I now have some some lessons and some examples to remind myself to stay mindful in this world of mindlessness. So thank you for coming to speak to me, Roz. It was really great to hear you speak about The Laughter Effect and your practice and your story. Thank you so much. It's been my absolute pleasure. And um, yes, thank you for this wonderful opportunity. Happy reading, everyone. The Laughter Effect is available from all reading stores and at our website, where you'll also find all kinds of other recommendations for great books, music, film, and TV. You can also sign up to eNews or receive our free monthly newsletter, The Readings Monthly. The Readings Podcast is produced by me, Nico Callaghan. The show's music is by Tom Hoskins. All episodes of the show are recorded and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to acknowledge traditional owners and pay my earnest respects to elders past, present, and those to come. Thank you.